0: This past week, one of my seminary colleagues—we didn't attend at the same time. He was just before me, but he was actually getting his PhD in art history when I was at at, at Princeton Seminary. So we were in town at the same time. Um, and his name is Matthew Milliner, and he is just a brilliant writer and 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 a faithful man. And this past week, he wrote an article that was published in Christianity Today, um, entitled. At Notre Dame, Good Friday came early. And he begins the article with these words, Gothic architecture has long reached where Christian missionaries would go but are not permitted, the minds and hearts of the faithless. The world's grief over the flames at Notre Dame de Paris revealed its power as far more than an architectural style. For the great medieval commentator, uh, William Durandis, the Gothic church took the shape of Christ's body, the chancel, the head, the transepts, the arms, the altar, the heart. And if the Gothic church symbolizes the body of Christ, to see Notre Dame burn this Monday was to experience Good Friday early. Now, although I've never been there, and I'm sure several people, many people in this room have been to Notre Dame have, have been inside of that amazing exemplary of Gothic architecture. My heart sank nonetheless as I watched the live stream on Monday of, of the flames. And, and it was incomprehensible when you're seeing this, that this iconic symbol, this, this, this priceless treasure of, of the Christian faith and of, of France and of Western civilization, whatever you want to call it. This place that it stood for seemingly 800 years, and when you think when something's been there for 800 years, it's going to be standing there 800 years after that. And to watch as the spire fell and the roof was engulfed in flames and to think, well, this could be totally lost. And it's more than a church, as as Matthew was saying in, in, in that quote, it's... An argument in glass and stone. It's an apology for the truth of the Christian faith. And so to see something beautiful destroyed, it makes us feel hopeless. And to see a raging inferno, it makes us feel powerless. I think it helps us to understand in some small, tiny way. The words of Jesus from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken this church, this cultural treasure? Why have you let something so beautiful undergo such pointless destruction? No. Of course, it's been heartening to see the outpouring of support afterwards and and the pledges, you know, that to rebuild and, you know, Notre Dame, like Christ, will rise again. But before we get to Easter too quickly, let us linger in the ashes. Now, Monday also produced what I believe will be one of the most enduring and iconic images and illustrations of Good Friday. So this was um, one of the first photos to emerge from inside the church after the fire was under control. And what's striking is that in the midst of all that had been damaged and destroyed, one thing that remained was the cross. And that's fitting for two reasons on Good Friday, one that speaks to our feelings of despair and another to our hope. First, despair. The cross in the midst of the charred-out husk of the cathedral reminds us of everything beautiful that has been lost, everything wonderful that has been destroyed. To see the cross in the midst of the ruins is to enter again into the reality of Good Friday. What happened to Jesus was terrible. It was ugly, debasing, defacing, and purposefully humiliating. In his Palm Sunday sermon, Matt asked the question last week, how do we go so quickly from, you know, Palm Sunday and Hosanna and the crowds cheering to not even a week later, Good Friday and, and Jesus' death on the cross? How did Jesus end up, you know, not only getting killed, but, but getting killed in the manner that he did? And so Matt pointed us to the answer being in what Jesus did at the temple. His cleansing of the temple, as Jesus symbolically enacting God's judgment upon us. And for that, the religious leaders knew that Jesus had to die. He was a threat to their power, to their control, uh, to their entire understanding of the world. And so, they got rid of him, by any means necessary, as the saying goes. And it's often said that Jesus died between two threes like a a common criminal— But there was nothing common about crucifixion. The Romans wouldn't bother to go out of the trouble to to crucify a common thief or a common criminal. I mean, think about how much work, how much spectacle there was. How much work went into the torture, the soldiers leading him out how much trouble they went to to make a public example of them. Crucifixion wasn't about killing a criminal. There's much easier, faster, more efficient ways to do that. Crucifixion was about sending a message. If you cross us, if you threaten our authority, this is what we will do to you. We will make you hideous. We will make you suffer a slow, agonizing death in front of everyone while they hurl abuse at you. Jesus didn't die as a common criminal. He he, he died as an insurrectionist, someone who claimed to be a king, to be bringing another kingdom. The Romans and the Jewish leaders, they didn't spiritualize what Jesus said. They took him at his word. And they killed him for it. To say that this Jesus would never be king and his kingdom would never come and anyone who followed in his footsteps or or made the kind of claims he was making about him would find themselves subject to the same fate. What happened to Jesus was no accident. It was purposeful. The intentional destruction and desecration of the king and his kingdom It was intentionally taking something beautiful and making it as ugly and repulsive as possible. On Good Friday, Jesus took upon Himself the full ugliness and cruelty and wanton destruction that this world has to offer. And in the middle of of the horror of the seeming pointlessness of it all stands the cross, and solitary upon it hangs Jesus. And one of the main reasons that people give for not believing in God is, is all of the evil and suffering that's in this world. On Good Friday, we, we ought to remember that the problem of evil and suffering aren't a philosophical conundrum. No, they, they stand at the very heart of of the Christian faith. Whatever the answer is to the problem of evil, it is right there on the cross with Jesus crying out in dereliction and pain, right there on the cross in the midst of the ashes. That is God not running from the problem, but taking it head on. God doesn't run from the fire, He runs into it. And that's what this image of the cross should remind us of, that the cross is God's solution to the problem of evil, which then also brings to mind why this image is one of hope. Because in the midst of the ashes of this world, the cross remains. At the end of Good Friday, death has done its worst, evil has done its worst, worst sin has done its worst, injustice has done its worst, the very fires of hell have burned their hottest, an inferno enraged and engulfed Christ, yet through it all the cross remains to remind us that in the kingdom of God our upside-down world will be turned right-side up. And this is a kingdom which Jesus promised Peter and the disciples and us that, that, that hell would not prevail against it. And John encouraged us by saying that he was a light shining in the darkness. And the darkness wouldn't overwhelm or overcome it. Not even on Good Friday. And so the cross, which was meant to humiliate Jesus is where He has been exalted. The stake of His execution became His throne, and the instrument of His death instead became, for all who turned to it, a source of everlasting light and life. Tonight, Notre Dame is in ashes. The spire with the cross atop it has fallen. But like Christ this coming Sunday, It will rise again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.